0: you forward uh, finish up uh, chapter 1 night of uh, galatians so if you want if you want to use one of the bibles from uh, from your table it's going to be page and slide 972 972 uh, it's also the uh, Galatians text. We're going to get some other text too, but the Galatians text is also printed on your handout. Handouts are on the tables. And, uh, and I don't need it. so let's uh, let's start up with the word of prayer. <coughs> Father. Thank you so much uh, just for the time we have together this evening, and uh, just uh, the hunger we have to into your word. And uh, we just pray that you would uh, open it up to us and uh, reveal new things, new insights about you and about your story. About ourselves. And uh, as we read your word, uh, we want to give you uh, permission to let that same word read us. And so um, just transform us into people that you want us to be. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, has anybody had any family in the hurricane Or friends or family? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty Thank God it wasn't as bad as. It looked like it was, right? Yeah. It still pretty rough, but... Yeah. Good. Good, good, good. All right. So, last week, we, uh, we started off with kind of uh, Paul's introduction to this book. And I, 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 I want to I just talk a little bit about the difference, too, of, of, you know, hopefully what happens here on Tuesday night falls more into the category of teaching than preaching. So... Like if you wonder what the difference is, and at least in my mind, uh, I I teach for the sake of information, and and preach for the sake of inspiration. Uh, and so it's like uh, when I when I think about preaching, I'm preaching to try to you know hopefully God's using that to help people nudge towards life change and you know making some transformative decisions in their lives and that sort of thing. And teaching is more about let's let's pull as much. Uh, good information out of this as we possibly can. And since it's the Bible, there'll be life changing with that too, but but it's much more um, kind of digging and tearing it apart and, and uh, looking at all the details of what's there. But, um. So last week we started off with the first 10 verses of chapter one, and uh, really just the whole context there, and, and we're still continuing that same theme this week actually, is the idea that. Um, Paul feels this need to state that he's an apostle and define what he means by that. And, and, and saying, because you know, he had some people that were going around behind him in his work saying, this guy's not legit. Uh, you know, he's, he's kind of some sort of self-appointed apostle going around. He didn't even walk with Jesus. And, uh, and Paul's response says, no, I'm, I'm an apostle. I'm the real deal. And, you know, his, his uh, response, I think, you know, right there at the beginning, he says, Paul, an apostle, not from it, not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. And so he's like, I, God has appointed me to be an apostle. And then, so the rest of this chapter is him dealing with that, and then also, I, I think he, he, he's kind of, he feels like he's on his heels a little bit, and he feels the need to go, if you guys are going to say some things about me, let, let's, let's start with the facts first. And, uh, and say after you've got the facts, say whatever you want. But let, let's, let's let's do this out of, out of truth and not just something people are making up. And so that's kind of where we continue on, starting in verse eleven uh, tonight. And so go ahead and look at Galatians one, uh, start with verse eleven. He says, he says, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel was preached by that the, the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the uh, traditions of my fathers. All right? So... So, he, he starts off on a little bit of a kind of history lesson, uh, kind of a personal uh, bio of himself, and he's given some context to why, why he can say, I'm an apostle chosen by God, okay? So, he goes back to, uh, he's going to kind of retell his conversion story uh, at this point. And now, at this point, the book of Acts, now most of what we know about Paul's conversion comes from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9. And... Um, but they didn't have the book of Acts yet. We talked last week that Galatians was probably the first New Testament book that was read uh, in the late 40s. And so they all they had was word of mouth, church to church, you know, person to person. Have you heard that this guy that used to kill all these Christians and jail all these Christians? He's, he's a Christian now, too. And and they would tell, that, tell the story that Jesus appeared to him and struck him blind. And he was blind for three days. And, and, uh, and then, you know, somehow... Became became this amazing church planner and you know just uh, evangelist uh, for God, um, and so that story had begun to circulate around in the churches, the church leaders, and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And so, but they didn't have the scripture like we had to go into the Book of Acts and read what happened. So there, there's a problem here because there is a there's a discrepancy between. Well, actually, it's not a discrepancy. There's a it appears that there's a discrepancy between the account of Paul's conversion in the book of Acts and Paul's own account of his conversion here in Galatians, that there's some extra details, when Paul tells it with his own mouth, he's got some extra details, which makes sense. If it's your story, you're going to know all the more details, right? Uh, Acts was written by Luke, the same guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke, and Luke, his whole way of writing the Gospel of Luke and the the book of Acts was he didn't walk personally with Christ, he put together that account by eyewitness accounts. So he would to go around kind of journalistically, just interviewing people. What happened? What happened? Well, he's writing all this down. He's compiling the story. You know? So, in, like, for instance, in, in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 2, where um, uh, it tells the story of the birth of Christ. And in that, uh, it talks about how the wise men came and gave all these gifts and tells about the whole birth account. And, and there's this little comment there that says, and Mary treasured up all these things in her heart. And I love that little comment because it, I, I, I have this image of Mary sitting down with Luke, telling her story again, you know, and and him going, This was a this was a big deal to her. She really treasured that up, you know. And so he's kind of relaying those eyewitness accounts through. And so that's how he puts together Luke in the book of Acts. So uh, so we'll get to some of the, the the, the timeline differences of what happens after Jesus reveals Himself to Paul just a little bit, but let, let's start with who Paul was before his conversion. Okay, so what, what was Paul's name before he was Paul? Saul. Saul. Right. Okay. So Saul, uh, he was a a Jewish um, Pharisee, um, a very intelligent man, a very well trained man. We find out in um, in some of his writings that he was. He was trained by a, a guy by the name of G- G- Gantelil. And Gantelil was, was kind of the Ivy League of Jewish teachers. I mean, it, it, was, it was a big deal to say that you sat at this guy's feet and learned what you learned from him. And Paul was trained by him. We hear of this guy also early in the book of Acts when the church is starting to spread, the gospel message start starting to spread, and the pr- priests and religious leaders are starting to freak out, and they're having this conversation, what do we do about this? And, and Gamaliel, his comment is just let it go. Just, he said, it's like everything else is just going to eventually fizzle out. And uh, he said, if it's not from God. And then he said, and if it, is, if it is from God, there's nothing we can do about it anyway. And so he had this kind of, you know, um, weird wisdom about it. Just and Even though we don't have any indication that he was a follower of Christ, he was just like, let's just see what happens. You know, just let it go. And so, but anyway, that's. That's who Paul learned from. He was extremely intelligent. Extremely, I mean, so much so that I've I've said this a lot of times before. I think if you take the Book of Romans and and hold it up against any philosophical document ever written in the history of man, it'll stand toe to toe with it. I mean, that that is a brilliant, brilliant document, and and he he's just he's he's just kind of in terms of intellect and. Being able to kind of make things fit together and thinking through things in a, in a philosophical way, he's, he's kind of head and shoulders above his peers. And he kind of says that here in this statement that we just read. So he said, You know, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, but beyond, you know, beyond his peers. He's like, You know, I was, I, I loved what I was studying, I loved what I was learning, I was passionate about. So he, he, he confesses that he's a Pharisee. Now, we have this idea, most of us, about Pharisees basically from what we see in the accounts of Jesus and the Gospels, mm-hmm. that they were just kind of the bad guys, right? And uh, and maybe you, you kind of put together too that they were very legalistic, very judgmental. Pardon me. And um, and so, I, but I'm going to give a little bit of context of who the Pharisees were too, because the Pharisees were not just like the priests or, or other religious leaders. In fact, they weren't. There was no official title or, or position of Pharisee. They weren't an official part of the temple system or the religious system of the Jews. They were totally unofficial, uh, and so Pharisees were kind of self-appointed, and, and and they were these people that. So, if you go back, and we're going to hit the Old Testament some now, if you go back in the Old Testament to, um, you know, the days of of uh, Nehemiah and and uh, Esther and and uh, and some of the, a lot of the other prophets and stuff like that too, where um, the Israelites were carried off in bondage to, to Babylon. So, well, first to Assyria and then they returned and then eventually to Babylon again, and then they returned from that that uh, captive captivity as well. And so and it was always referred to as their exile, the exile of the Jewish people, right? And so what we what we kind of figure out, I think a lot of us had this idea that when they got back from Babylon, the exile was over. But in the mind of the Jewish people, that wasn't true. They felt like that God's blessing and favor had never really fully returned to them as a people. And it was being expressed through what was happening through the Roman government. They, they still felt like they were still living in exile. And so what happens, about 100 years before Jesus, all the way through to about 100 years after Jesus, this group of people rose up called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were basically, they loved Israel, loved Israel. And their whole idea was that if we're going to be a a free nation, a nation of significance again, a nation that, that moves out of exile into God's blessing again, it's probably going to happen by all of us keeping the law. And so they became passionate about not only themselves keeping every little detail of the law, but trying to force it on, and so they would just walk around pointing out lawbreaker, 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 you know, because, and it wasn't so much that they were super judgmental, even though that's ultimately what it was, it was they loved Israel so much, they were like, we've got to get God's blessing back, and the only way we have to do that is to perfect the law, and so they were so passionate about the law, and they were... What that kind of passion, as Paul puts it, zeal—we'll hit that word in just a second—but it led to this ultra legalistic environment, to where these self-appointed Pharisees now—I mean, everybody would just kind of i oh, them the Pharisee. You know, you know mind your P's and Q's. Here they come, and and they were dreaded, and they were probably talked about and ridiculed even at points, but also people were scared of them too. Because they were constantly pointing out, it's like they were just like these religious rats, right? I mean, they were just constantly pointing out what you were doing wrong and trying to take him to the temple or go lock him up or, you know, whatever else. And so, but it came from this place of, we need God's blessing again. I mean, they were really, even though they've got this really and and probably rightly deserved horrible reputation throughout the story of Christ... In their own minds, they were upright. They were godly. They loved God. They loved Israel, and and so in their minds, they're not the bad guy. In fact, this, this Yahoo Jesus is stirring things up, and you know, I mean, he's the bad guy. He's telling us to get rid of all the stuff that all of our tradition. And so that, that's when that's that's where the conflict really comes from. So Paul falls into that camp. He was. A, he said he calls himself at one point a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's you know, like. He's like, I could I out-Pharisee out any Pharisee, right? And so, and that zeal, that zealousness for his faith. So, let's go through, we had, we got a couple of terms there. So, in there, he says, but I received it, talking about the gospel message. He says, I wasn't taught by any man, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And so, somebody read that uh, term, revelation, there on the right hand side. Revelation, the opening or uncovering of a previously hidden reality. Alright, so that's what that means. The, the word revelation just simply means that that at least in, in, in the context of the New Testament, it means that something that was unknown about God, God reveals about himself and now makes it known. Okay, that's that's what revelation means. Okay? And so uh, and we distinguish nowadays between revelation and what we would call um inspiration or illumination. Illumination. And so illumination is not something brand new. Illumination is your eyes, the light of your eyes being lit up for the first time so that you kind of go, oh, you have your own little aha that God gives you and get, you get the light turns, But it's not necessarily brand new information about God that nobody's ever known or seen before. Right, that would call it a category of revelation. Okay. Um, and then down there a little further where we uh, right where we stopped, he says so so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Somebody read that term zealous. <clears throat> zealous. A passion or devotion to someone or something that results in action. Even sometimes violent, aggressive action. Alright, so zealousness is not just simply like I'm really passionate about something. Zealousness is like I'm passionate and it's going to cause me to actually take action on this passion. And even if it means very aggressive action, very violent action. So Paul's Zeal, uh, you know, caused him to go. This this Christianity upstart religion is a threat to my whole worldview and way of life, and and the advancement of our nation, Israel. So we got to kill all these guys. We got to get rid of it. We got to squash this religion. So he would, you know, that's what he did. I mean, he the the book of Acts in Acts chapter I think seven records, you know, as when they were stoning uh, Stephen, one of the leaders of the first church. Paul is there holding everybody's coats. <laughs> and like, I got to take off this coat so I can get a good grip on my rock, right? He's like, "Here, I'll hold your coat. Go ahead. Here's your rock." And he's—I mean, he's—he's he's kind of facilitating that whole stoning, right? And so, the zeal is not just like zeal is actually used of, of Jesus to uh, when um, um, uh, when he goes in and flips the tables in the temple. That's zeal. That's Jesus going... Passionate about what I see and what I know reality is and who God is and how he should be worshipped. <coughs> and that passion pardon, is going to cause me to do something about it. I'm not just going to stand by and idly watch. Something has to be done. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about zeal. So that's Paul to a T. I mean, he was just this guy that was like, just hard charging, right? Hard charging, you know, I'm not going to stand by and watch the destruction of my people. So we're going to take these so that's kind of where we, we are with Paul as a Pharisee and that sort of thing. Any questions about that before we we'll move on? By the way, you guys pipe up with questions, comments at any point. I Those who were apostles before me, that I went away to Arabia, and returning again to Damascus. Okay. So, so let me read that term, uh, Gentiles. The Jews divided the world into Jews and non-Jews. The Hebrew word for non-Jews is Goyim, and the Greek word they used was Ethne, literally nation. All right. So it's kind of where we contrived that term Gentiles from. Um, but it was, it was if you're—if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile in, in the Jewish worldview. Right? That's basically what that means. So when he says, you know, I, I felt chosen to take the word to the Gentiles. I mean, that was Paul's whole. That's why he started church after church all across the Roman Empire. I mean, he really felt that was his his calling as a per, person after he came to faith in Christ. Um. So what I want to do now is, okay. So if Paul is this guy that is. Is just this uh, Jewish faith, Old Testament like nerd. Like I mean, he just he just can't get enough of Scripture, you know. And somebody in Paul's position, by the way, I mean, the guys that were that educated and, and you know could kind of teach it themselves, they had the entire Scripture completely memorized, the whole thing, the whole thing. And and I mean, he is just this guy that. Like that's the world he just he just soaks it up and he just lives and he's passionate about what's taught. He wants to pass it on. He wants to make sure that that message. I mean, to, to the same point that I'd say some of us feel that way too about our faith. I, I, I remember being like really excited about having kids before you know Jamie ever got pregnant, and it was because I couldn't wait to pass my faith down to my kids. And 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 so even some of us will feel that sense of like. This has got to keep going, and I'm going to help all this faith keep going, and and, and just living in in that world where you just, it's so highly elevated in your life and in your mind, right? And that's that's the way Paul was. So for someone living that life, pre-New Testament, pre-belief in Jesus, that sort of thing, who do you think Paul's heroes were? especially the prophets, the prophets were were amazing because when you read their stories, they were they were kind of living that very zealous, called life too. God would call them out to, to preach these crazy messages at times like Isaiah. God told him, you know, he wanted him to preach naked for a long period of time like in his front yard. And so Isaiah would just preach naked for weeks and weeks and weeks because God's whole message that he wanted to get across was how um, how, uh Naked, the Israel, Israelite people were without him, basically. How completely unclothed they were without God in their lives. Um, and so, and there's all these other prophets that have similar stories, just these extreme actions, very zealous actions that they would do. So, yeah, his, his, Elijah and Moses and and Israel, uh, 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 Isaiah, Jeremiah, and all these others. You know, these are Paul's heroes. These are the. And so, when Paul gets to his conversion experience, where Jesus blinds him with this bright light, speaks to him and says, you know, why are you persecuting my people? And Paul's like, who are you? And he's like, I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. And he has this whole experience. Um, This is Paul who had read story after story after story of God revealing himself to all of his heroes in the ways that he did. And and, and him going, I hey, think God's revealing Himself to me now. What does this mean? And then, and not only did God, who I love and I'm giving my whole life to, not only has He revealed Himself to me, He's just told me His name is Jesus, and I've been killing all these Jesus people, right? And so Paul is. I mean, Paul's trying. To, I can't. I can only imagine. And he's trying to process a lot of stuff right now. I mean, like a lot of stuff is going in his head. So if you look at um, um, Acts. Acts chapter 9. Flip over there if you, if you have it. Uh, Acts chapter 9. This is Paul's conversion, conversion story in Acts. It's on page uh, 917. And um, so we say, it says here, but uh, Saul, this is when he saw Saul, Saul, still bringing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to, this, uh, to the synagogue at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, which is what they called the church back then. If any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them down to Jerusalem. And now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice uh, saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you persecute. But rise and enter uh, the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. And um, and so then it goes on down, and he's brought to Damascus. And uh, he was there for three days without sight. And then God calls this guy named Anani- Ananias to go to Paul and, and, and baptize him. To, like, help him become a believer, right? He does, he does all of that. And, um, and so we go to uh, verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which he came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. And he regained his sight, and then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. And so um, a, it goes on to say that he uh, he stayed uh, some days in uh, Damascus, and then he eventually goes to uh, uh, Jerusalem. He has to escape from Damascus. Uh, and he spends time teaching there and evangelizing in Damascus, and then he escapes to Jerusalem. Okay, so the Acts story goes like this: Paul is converted on the way to Damascus. He's taken blind to Damascus. He's led to Christ in Damascus. He stays there for a while and preaches and leads people to Christ, has to escape Damascus, goes to Jerusalem where he spends time with Peter and the other apostles. Okay, that's, that's, that's Luke's account in Acts. Paul's personal account uh, seems to say something different because he says, uh, I did not immediately consult with anyone. He said, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia. And then returned it into Damascus. So I think what, what actually happened is that Luke's account skips a step, okay? So so again, Luke's get gathering fresh eyewitnesses and that sort of thing. Luke's account says he was converted, taken to Damascus, his sight came back, and then he stays at Damascus and goes to Jerusalem. I think probably what actually happened is same order with one additional step, and well, according to Paul, he says, I was, I, I, I Discovered Christ Christ revealed himself to me. I was blinded. I'm taken to Damascus where I'm led to the Lord. And then Paul says, I didn't talk to anyone. But I went to Arabia. And I spent time in Arabia for what's he say, three years, right? Um, uh, but I went to Arabia and then and then returned again to Damascus. So I think what happens is there's, there's Arabia step in there. But he does eventually go back to Damascus. And then like, when he's at Damascus after a long time in Arabia, He starts preaching the gospel there, he starts converting people, he has to escape Damascus and then goes on to Jerusalem, just like the the way Acts says. Now, the reason this is is really fascinating is because uh, and you may fall into the same category as me, is like most of my life I've been taught Paul was um, you know, converted he had this big miraculous experience with Christ, he was converted and then, you know, it was all the other Christians and all the other apostles that taught him everything he knew and, and helped him so he could eventually go out and and, uh, teach and start churches and that sort of thing. And Paul says, again, because he's trying to make this point of who he is and to make the point of his apostleship. He says, my apostleship did not come from a man. It came from Jesus. It came from God. He goes to the point to say, I didn't speak to anybody after I embraced faith. Instead, I went to Arabia. I went to Arabia and, and spent time there, and it was there that God revealed himself to me. And so, according to Paul's account, everything he, uh, he learned about Christ and how Christ fit into all that scripture he had been studying for his whole life, all of that was revealed to him by God when he was by himself in Arabia, like the revelation of Christ continued in his life. Now, the Arabia thing is really interesting because I, I put that map on your page. So you, um, Arabia was basically another, like we talked about last week that Galatia is not a city. It was like a, a province, an area uh, that had, or a, you might call it a state, uh, that had multiple cities in it. Uh, and so so he writes it to the churches of Galatia, right? And so Arabia was another one of those provinces or one of those states. And I, put, I, I inserted a little triangle down. At, at there in that little phone print that looks like Earth, that, That's labeled Arabia. Uh, this was a Roman province called Arabia. And there was a mountain there in Arabia. Does anybody have any guess what mountain that was? What's that? Is it a rare map? No. Yeah. Sinai? There you go. It's Mount Sinai, sometimes called Mount Horeb. Same mountain. It's the mountain of God. It's the mountain where, where Moses met God and God shared with him the law. It's the mountain where, you know, where Paul's other hero, Elijah, uh, is on the run from from uh, Jezebel, and goes, and God says, "Go up to the mountain, not, Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, Sunday, mount, same place." And it's there that God speaks to him in the still, still small voice and, and ministers to him there, and, and that sort of thing. This is where people who were called by God for big things would go to meet with God, and God would minister to them and affirm that calling. So it makes sense that Paul in this moment where he sees himself as this servant of God type Like God, has, in fact he goes on um, where he says um, up there about halfway through that paragraph But when he who had set me apart before I was born Who called me by his grace and was pleased to reveal his son to me He's, usually, he's actually usually, you can look it up on your own later on He's using Isaiah's language down here that i put that reference on. He's using Jeremiah's language when he said, uh, you, you called me when I was still in my mother's womb. He's using that same language of his personal heroes, the, the people that he studied his whole life. And he sees himself in that same tradition being called to something big in the same way that they were being called. And so all of a sudden he's got this whole world view of, of Old Testament worldview and just very Pharisaical attitude about all of it, and he's trying—you know—he's got all this he's so passionate about it. And suddenly, God Himself injects Jesus into his worldview, and it doesn't—he's like he's trying to make sense of it all. Paul's first thought, as someone who feels called from his mother's womb, just as these other guys felt called from those, their mother's womb, Paul's first thought is, "I got to meet God. I got to sort this out. I got to make sense of everything that's, that's happening in my life right now, because this is not what I prepared for." This is this is a total shift, a total change in my whole worldview. I think Paul went to Arabia because he was going to the mountain. I really do. I think he's going there because he's like, I have to meet with God, and God has to download all this new information into me so I can so I can make sense. Because this is not <laughs> when Paul when Paul says, um, uh, where, where is it? When he says, I was called by Jesus Christ. Um, even there at the top of the top where it says, I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So it's like, you know, if you're talking to one of your friends or somebody you know, and, and, and you know, so what, what happened? Oh, man, I, I, I've been called by Jesus Christ. Yeah, I know, I know, but how did it happen? Like, who who was it we talked to? I've been called by Jesus Christ. No, I, I, know, I know, I know, I've been called by Jesus Christ, but like, who, who, who helped you through this? And Paul's going, I mean, you don't get it. It was literally Jesus Christ. It wasn't Peter, and it wasn't you know James, and it wasn't any of these other guys. It was Jesus Christ who revealed Himself to me, uh, you know, so that I would believe. And then later, as I go to meet with God, God continues to reveal Himself to me and His plan to me. I, mean, I received all of this directly from God, directly from God. I I don't know that like that's. I, I get excited about that because it's just this um, element of Paul's life that I had never thought a lot about before, and and to I love how Paul goes. No, I, I didn't. I didn't immediately go seeking out apostles um, and Jesus followers to tell me the story. I, I went straight to God, and He's the one that, that told me how everything happened. Um, I I love kind of filling in those blanks and going, wow, that was. As we know, it was a big experience on the Damascus Road, the blinding light and everything else, but it, that didn't stop there. I mean, God just continues to just pour into Paul and reveal more and more and more and more to so where when Paul finally gets back to the other apostles, he's got all the information he needs. And he, he just jumps in teaching. He doesn't go and sit at their feet and, like, teach me, teach me. He, he shows up, he's ready to go. <laughs> he's just ready to go. So I love that, love that element of God just going, I need this guy for this mission. Like nobody could do what Paul was able to do across the Roman Empire. Nobody could have done that except Paul, because Paul was a Roman citizen, and he was so like he just got it. Like it's why I love so why I love Paul so much is because if, if, we, if you take Paul out of Scripture, I, I think we're still scratching our heads trying to figure out why we needed Jesus. And, but Paul's writings. Go into detail because he 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 was rooted in all of that scripture and all of that knowledge and 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 so for him everything that he has spent his life committed to and learning and the whole message of there's a Messiah coming and will deliver us from e- exile and who's going to you know reign over us. Suddenly, when, when Jesus is revealed to him, suddenly he he can from a position of knowing the whole scripture go. It all makes sense. Like it all made, he has this matrix moment, right? So all fitting in, right? But he is he's just, he has this, everything makes sense, and he can unpack it. Like that's, why, that's why he spends so much of these letters doing, he's going to do more in this one, and all through the book of Romans. I mean, it's just him going, it had to happen this way. And just as I was just saying, it couldn't have been anybody other than Paul. <coughs> able to tell us, it couldn't have been anybody other than Jesus. Like, it... It it all fits. It all, like he's the fulfillment to every single prophecy. Like, what what are the odds of one man being the fulfillment to, you know, 1,500, 2,000 years worth of prophecy? And Paul's going, it it, it works, it fits. And he's able to really reveal that. It's just incredible. I'm sorry, I went off, but uh, questions, thoughts? It's amazing. It is amazing. Why? Why the Gentiles and not the Jews? Why his ministry to the yeah, I mean, what, what do you think? Why was his passion to go towards all the Gentiles instead yeah. of the Jews? I mean, given the fact that, I mean, you would think that he would want to convert people that he had, yeah. you know, been partners with in, in crime and try, try to lead them. To so the- I think Paul felt a little bit like a man without a home that, you know, we talked last week a little bit that he was uh, born and raised in that city, Tarsus, which was outside of Israel. It was in, it was in the Roman Empire. And, um, and so I think for Paul, if it was amongst Romans that he felt really comfortable. He grew up, you know, walking amongst them all the time. But at the same time, he's also this kind of expatriate Jew living in the Roman Empire. And so he probably he probably doesn't quite feel at home there either, because he's, he's brought up to worship completely different and think completely different about the world than everybody else that lives there is thinking. And so I think you know when you look at all the other uh, apostles of Jesus, they're all they're all local boys, you know. I mean they're all um, Israelites. And so for them to to go off into the Roman Empire and try to start churches and spread that message not that they couldn't have done it, but I think it was just, that was the water Paul swam in anyway, you know, yeah. Yeah. good question, anybody else? alright so, let's keep on so, oh, by the way, in, so there at the end of that the paragraph which Ray says, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus and, and call it divine providence, call it coincidence, call it whatever you want, but in In Elijah's story, when he's fleeing from Jezebel, he goes up on the mountain and meets God. Here's a still small verse question about after he has that experience. God tells him, Now I want you to leave the mountain and go to Damascus. So it's very mirroring that whole story of, of, you know, uh, from Elijah, where, you know, they leave the mountain, they go to Damascus. Paul leaves Arabia, goes back into Damascus where he's initially called, and uh, begins his ministry there. So, pretty. Um, Alright, let's let's look at that next uh, paragraph Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas And remained with him 15 days But I saw none uh, Okay, so Cephas, first of all Um, Somebody read the the term there. Cephas Cephas is the Aramaic Aramaic version of the Greek name Peter Both literally mean rock Right, alright, so Cephas is just Peter It's just just (laughs) Peter and Aramaic And they both literally mean rock so Peter's name before he was Peter was, remember? Simon. remember Simon, exactly, Simon. So he's Simon, Jesus says, I'm going to call you Peter, because I'm going to build my church on this rock. And uh, so Cephas means rock and okay. So he says, now for three years I went to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, and remained with him for 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And then he, and then he says that, he says, and while I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. So he, he takes the time to go. Go. I know you think you know. You know that I just went and got all this information from. You know these other guys, and you know I'm sort of some sort of self-appointed or man-appointed apostle. But he said, this is not a lie. This is this is the absolute god honest truth. Everything I got came from God. I spent time with Peter, not a bunch of the others. We visited for a couple of weeks, or like, you know whatever. So he's, he's like, this is. This is the truth. I'm not there's no lie here. And then he says, Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and it was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that were in Christ. They only were hearing it said that he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he wants trying to destroy. And they glorified him, God because of me. Okay, so he's like, even then I I wasn't I wasn't the leader. You know, I wasn't going off and necessarily planting churches right and left or trying to jump in and preach in the churches in Judea or anything like that. I was still pretty un... You know, I could walk amongst everybody and if I didn't tell them who I was, they may not recognize me. I wasn't making things about me. I was i was learning how to be a church builder. I was learning how to be a part of the way, you know, and and, and he's, he's doing all of that. He's, he's learning what it looks like to, you know, what do these churches look like. I'm going to go plant church. I feel like i got this calling on, you know, from God on my life To go into the Roman Empire planting churches I need to spend some time in some churches And see what it looks like, you know So that's kind of where he is So this is all, this whole chapter is just all going, one You know, I know what you've heard I know what these people Who are trying to, to, to get you screwed up In your faith and preach this false gospel to you They're trying to tell you that you have to be Jewish You have to be circumcised and You have to add all this law to the gospel of Jesus And he's like that's absolutely false. And, they, and when they were coming to you, they were bad mouthing me and they would say I'm some sort of poser, you know, apostle. He's like, that's not the truth. And he's just laying out this is what, what happened. This is the order of This is where I went. This is who I talked to and who I didn't talk to. This is, the, you know, it reminded me of um, a few years ago. It's been actually several years ago, maybe 10 or so. Um, after Rick Warren wrote Purpose in Life. Um, which became like the best-selling book of all time, right? And I, he gave a TED Talk, did any of you ever watch TED Talks? You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. So it's like this uh, kind of a big thinkers conference that goes on here, it's a big week. It's not a Christian thing, it's a, just a secular thing, but they invited Rick Warren to give a talk because his book was so popular and, and that sort of thing. So he spent his 20 minutes talking about what it means to have given a purpose by God in your life. It's a really great talk. You should look up. But in this talk, even though nobody asked him this question, he takes a little time and he goes, "He goes, here's the deal with writing the best selling book of all time." He said, "There is a lot of money." <laughs> He's like, there, "He said, you can't imagine the money that comes in your mailbox because you wrote the best selling book." He said, "It's just, it's just mountains and mountains." money. And then he begins to go to basically tell this crowd who didn't even ask him the question how he spent his money. He said, he said, I've been in my church for I don't know what, it was 25 years or something like that at the time. And he said, we paid back every dime the church ever paid me." Um, he said, uh, he said, you know, we had he said, him and his wife Kay had since the moment they were married been tithers, they've been 10% tithers, and then more, they've increased their tithe year to year, and to try to give sacrificially all along the way. And he, said, he said, when when that book happened, he said, we became reverse tigers. We were giving 90% and living off 10%. And he, he, he just he kind of reframes that in terms of I know what you think of me. I know you think I'm this huckster creature that's making money off of everybody or whatever. He said, but before you get, go too far down that road, let me give you the facts of how I actually live my life. And that's kind of what Paul's doing here. He's like, Guys have been, you guys have been led astray. You, you, I came to you in person. I started this church. I loved you. I i celebrated with you. I wept with you. We did this thing, this work together. You know who I am. And he's like, but just in case you forgot, let me remind you who I am. So he sets up the whole kind of foundation of the message that he's getting ready to give him in the next chapters by, by first clearing the air about who he is and his call, calling this, this Miraculous calling that's on his life. It's really, really, really powerful. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of where we are. You know? We'll dive into kind of the meat of the more of the meat of the message next week. But it's a uh, you know, Paul. Paul needed to clear the air before he could get there uh, because he had some damage control. Good stuff. I love I love that story. I love I just I love thinking about Paul. Just God continuing to reveal Himself to him and. Miraculous ways and just pouring it in. You know, and Paul's like, I didn't get this from anybody. I got this from God. You know, it's just, so to, me, to me, it's real cool.